Welcome, everybody, to the inaugural episode of Something for the People. I'm your host, Stokely, a.k.a. B. Smooth. And today, to start off this podcast, I have an excellent guest, the best guest I could get, the best guest I would want to get, Miss <laughs> Sophia Green, author, entrepreneur, mother, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Welcome, Sophia. Thank you. How are you? How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, closed out a pretty awesome day to day at school, just inspiring children and just doing the mom thing. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. It's uh, summertime Chicago, so I'm enjoying yeah. the weather yeah. so, before I have to go back to Indiana. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, let me just let's just kick this off. So. You were born in Chicago, correct? That is correct. Okay, that's, so this this is start off. Tell us about growing up in Chicago. So uh, growing up in Chicago for me, uh, it's been amazing. You know, um, I've had some not so good um, beginnings growing up as a child, but um, once I was adopted by my grandmother, uh, things kind of took a turn for you know for the better. You know. Um, I was raised by my grandmother. She adopted me at the age of five. And um, I just learned everything from her. You know, I've learned my resiliency, my strength, my courage, my determination, my independence. I just learned everything from her um, growing up in Chicago. Okay. So did you, so you were adopted by your grandmother at age of five. So did you have a relationship with your biological parents? Um... I had a relationship with my mother, my mother, um, but she struggled with um, substance usage. So um, it was it was kind of hard. You know, um, I had about uh, two siblings at the time and we were split up. Um, my paternal grandmother ended up adopting me and then my siblings went off with the neighbor. So I'm definitely grateful, you know, for her even, you know, taking me in. You know, have to. So did you have a relationship with your siblings growing up since you guys were in separate households? Uh, initially, yes. But mm -hmm. then once I was adopted, um, not so much. Um, I wish I had a relationship. I did everything that I could to kind of make sure I kept that relationship going. But um, it was hard. You know, I'm a child, so no one listens to children. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I did according to, you know, what my grandmother wanted and she facilitated a relationship, but you can't always force it on the other side. Okay. So what was it like growing up with your grandmother? What, what was that like? You know, <laughs> <laughs> my grandmother was strict. So um, when my parents had me, they had me, uh, my dad was 14 and mm -hmm. my mom was 16. So uh, my grandmother was very strict. I don't know if you remember, you know, when we were in high school, um, I used to have to sneak to uh, go to pom-pom practice. Mm -hmm. I snuck and I ran for homecoming court. Mm -hmm. I snuck and went to the games. Like, I, I mean, it was just an uphill battle just to do the basic things in high school, you mm -hmm. know. And um, just to deal with everything else involving me being adopted and the things that I went through with my mother, it was difficult sometimes. Okay, so was your grandmother religious? She have a uh, she attended church. She didn't force it, you know. Okay. She forced it on me, um, but she was just really strict. She was very strict. She didn't want me going anywhere. She didn't want me doing anything. She just wanted me in the house with her, you know, just to protect me. You know, but it was just a lot. Okay, so what kind what kind of neighborhood did you grow up in in Chicago? Um, I grew up in what is it, the High Park area. So, okay. um, I, I was in the same neighbor. I'm in the same neighborhood um, as uh, Operation Push. You know, Jesse okay. Jackson, Louis Farrakhan, in that area, right there on uh, 47th and Cottage Grove. Okay. Okay, so did you, did you guys participate in Operation Push or anything like that since you were um, guys so close to it? I did. Um, so in Kenwood, um, 
the the pom pom team, we would do a couple of performances there for back to school. Um, and you know, they had the typical rallies, the back to school rallies. So we will go over there, you know, every so often. Okay. Okay. So, you know, speaking of high school, we both attended the same high school, Kenwood Academy. Yeah. So tell us about your time at Kenwood Academy. So that's this, I guess Ooh. we skipped ahead to teenage years. But. <laughs> so <laughs> like, high school for me, oh my goodness, it was different. You know, <laughs> I, I was not the typical student. Like, I mean, I did well. Okay. Um, but I don't feel like I was that smart. You know, uh, even when we took our honors class, like I failed, I, I failed that class like miserably. And I don't know if it was, um, because of the fact that I wasn't really interested in it or if it was just, I didn't know how to study. Um, I was just, you know, into other things, you know, I mean, I did well, like I got along with a lot of people. So I think, um, but I enjoyed dance. I enjoyed science. I enjoyed French. Um, when Mr. Yanaway taught us history, I enjoyed that. Um, but I think, um, maybe my sophomore and junior year were like my toughest years. And mm -hmm. I think that was the moment, um, where, I kind of reached like a hard time of depression, you know, and me not knowing what that was at the time, I just really struggled with it because I felt like I was battling some of everything and everyone, you know, to just graduate, you know? Okay. So let me, let me hop on the, uh, what you said, uh, depression. Cause a lot of times like now, a lot of people are starting to realize that, you know, yeah. you know, I was going through depression at this time. They didn't yeah. know what to call it. So at that moment we're in high school, how how did you like handle your emotions? Especially, you know, we're that was like around 9-11. So that was like a whole changing oh, of goodness, you know, yeah. the world at that time. So Yeah, it was it was a lot going on. To be honest, I wasn't handling my depression. Well, I, I one, I didn't know it was depression because uh, my family never talked about it. Um, in the, in what, the 80s, you know, there was a really big uh, drug epidemic and um, it was a lot of things that families didn't talk about. And what I um, didn't realize at that time was how much trauma I had been through as a child that um, I never was able to heal. So not only that, you know, my grandmother, you know, she also, you know, witnessed me going through this trauma and she was just, I guess, doing the best that she could at the time to protect me. Uh, but I think it made things harder for me because I wasn't able to really flourish. I wasn't able to really explore things like, you know, um, children or, you know, young adults, they are able to find their passion, their niche. And when you have people kind of keeping you from doing that and allowing you to be who you are, it makes becoming an adult, you know, a little bit harder and figuring out what you want to do in your life. Okay. okay. Um, in high school, any of your peers that you felt you could talk to about that? Because I know a lot of times we don't, we, we can't go to an adult because, you know, they're not going to understand how we feel. So did you reach out to peers about? I mean, I did. I mean, I would talk to my girlfriends, but, you know, it was difficult because they had freedom to do things. And I necessarily didn't. Um, so it was difficult because they would go out and do things. They would go to the movies. They would, you know, do all kinds of things. And I couldn't because my grandmother, you know, wouldn't let me, she wouldn't let me do it. Or I would have to sneak or I was that child where they were like, oh yeah, her mom's not going to let her do anything. So, you know, we're not going to ask, you know, but I mean, I've talked to a couple of my, you know, girls at the time on the pom-pom team, but no one really understood what, you know, I really went through, you know, as a child and even in high school, what was really going on. Okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. That was, <laughs> um, so now this is the kind of like an aside question. Cause I always, I never knew this. Okay. What's the difference between being on a pom-pom team and being on a children? <laughs> so the pom-pom team is more of a dance team. Okay more of the hip hop, you know, and the cheerleading team, they're more into the mechanics, the backflips, the pyramids, all of the different, you know, technical things. We're more of like the 
the chill dance version of a, a, a cheerleading scene. Okay, so you weren't you weren't gonna do any backflips. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So let's, I guess I guess we can progress forward. So you graduate Kenwood High School. Uh, what's What's next for you? Uh, so I went on to go to Northern Illinois University, mm-hmm. and um, I enjoyed myself there. Um, I had a nice group of friends, a small knit group of friends. I'm friends with them still to this day, okay. and um, I did about two years there, and. Um, I just realized, like, you know, I think I want to come back home. You know, I think I want to work. It's getting kind of expensive. Yeah. I think I want to try the adult thing. <laughs> I want to try the adult thing, move back home, get an apartment, and we'll see how that works. Yeah. Usually that's the opposite of people. People who want to be on that. I know there's a lot of people want to be on that Van Wilder life. They want to be the, the 19th year senior. Oh, like, my you gosh. Yes. <laughs> you know, I was just so ready to get out of my grandmother's house. I'm like, look, I just, I just want to go. You know, so I, I definitely enjoyed my college time. Like I, I was definitely a college student and a partying student. <laughs> Those that first year for sure. Okay, so you you leave uh, Northern Illinois University and you come back home to Chicago. So, what was that like coming back? Um. So when I came back, I decided to get a job. Um, I did not move back with my grandmother. And it was okay. I was um, at first. I started working at Walmart. Mm-hmm. And I didn't too much care for that. And then I decided to become a makeup artist um, at Carson. Okay, so what was that like? That was amazing. I had never done makeup artistry before. Um, it was something different, and I think that really catapulted me into exploring different things. You mm-hmm. know. Um, I was able to meet different women. I met met women with all types of skin diseases and issues and me being able to do their makeup and to talk to them in the process and to see them change from the moment they, before they got the makeup done and afterwards was like a significant difference. And I started to realize, man, you know, it's more than just putting makeup on women. Like we're like, legitimately lifting those women and inspiring these women, you know? So that kind of, you know, got things going. And um, from there I was like, "Eh, I like this, but I want something different. So that's when I decided to join army. (laughs) Okay. Okay, That's that's, that's kind of an extreme job. Okay. I'm doing makeup. Let me join army. Okay. Okay. So how did you get, how did, how did the army come into your life? You know, so the army came into my life. I was like at my wits end. I'm like, look, I'm not really making any money. Um, Before then, my friend Dominique had joined the army. Then my friend Shatam had joined the army. And I remember telling them when they were making a decision to go, I'm like, you're going to die. You do not need to be gone. And then when the army thought popped in my head, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm such a hypocrite. You know, (laughs) but I was like, you know, um, I had just reached a point to where I was like, you know, I'm going to want children one day. I'm going to want to be married one day. And I didn't really, you know, have a solid foundation. I, I don't know exactly what I should be doing in life right now. And I need some some a foundation. I need some guidance. I need some stability. And, you know, I need a different job. <laughs> so I decided to join the Army. Um, I was really chunky at the time. I think, you know, I was still depressed. So I was like my heaviest, absolute heaviest. And um, I was kind of overweight. But, you know, they work with me. I ran. I would work out with the recruiters. And I got in. I got in. Okay, so with the uh, army, a great workout plan. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, it was. It was the worst, but mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Okay, okay, so you you joined the army. What year is this? Where year are we at now? Uh, I want to say two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. So okay, we're uh, this is the middle of the Iraq War. <laughs> <laughs> the army. Okay, so okay, so now you're in the army. What is that like? Oh my gosh. As a fresh recruit, what is that like? 
it was torture. Oh my gosh, I've never been so scared in my life. Like the element of not knowing what's going on because my recruiters, you know, told me like, yeah, everything's going to be good. You're going to be fine. Just go ahead. You're going to get on a bus. Like you're going to be good. I'm like, okay, cool. So I get to the MEP station. They ship me off. And like, as soon as I get on the plane, I start getting anxiety. I start getting sick. And I'm like, it's too late now. I can't do anything. And all the way up until like the end processing point, it was smooth sailing. But as soon as we got on them buses and them drill sergeants came out, whoo, it was like nothing I have ever experienced. Um, it was, it, yeah, it was, it was, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm with you up until that point. Because actually my mother, she joined the uh, military. But she was only in the military for six weeks. Oh my goodness! Okay. Because he had a surprise, and you're Aww. talking to that. Surprise. <laughs> that's a great surprise. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's that's my extent and knowledge of the military. <laughs> yes, it, but you know, it was an amazing experience. It was very tough because it really challenges you mentally. You know, you are really humbled. You are, you know, I mean, I've had things being said to me as a as a a boot camp recruit that I could never imagine. Like I've had drill sergeants tell me, like, oh yeah, you look like this Iraqi I shot. And I'm like, what? Who said Wow. Yes. That's that's how you that's how they train you. That's how they get us. Yes. Anytime, anytime someone messes up, everybody gets in trouble. We were in the field. Like, I am not. Uh, uh, a nature girl. We were sleeping in dirt. We were cold. We were hungry. Oh my goodness. But it definitely taught me to really look within and to find some way to kind of make it through. Even if that meant looking at the stars, even if that meant looking at the sun, you have to get through this. Okay, so where where was basic training? You were still in the United States during that time. Yeah, it was um I attended basic training at Fort Jackson in uh Columbia, South Carolina. Okay. Slave state. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so uh, so after basic training, what happens next? Um after basic training, I went to um Augusta, Georgia. Okay. I received um, a job as a 25 Bravo, which is um information technology specialist. So we do um, a lot of networking, routing, switching, and things of that nature. And I spent about six months there. Okay. That's like the longest AIT there. Um, so yeah, after I finished up there, then I ended up um, still remaining on that base, but I just went to a different unit. Okay. And that's when I got sent off to Iraq. Okay. So Iraq. So what, what year is this year in Iraq? This was um this was after I had my, my first child, my daughter. Um I wanna say it was two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. So two thousand nine, you just had a daughter. Yeah. And you're in Iraq. That's, oh my God. That's, I don't I don't know too many uh new moms that are that, that <laughs> go to Iraq. No. <laughs> <Really mean. laughs> No, it's terrible. They were like, I mean, as soon as I had her, like maybe four months later, they're like, look, you're either going to go to Iraq with us, with the people you know, or you're going to go with the group you don't know. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, I'm still nursing my child. Like, this is ridiculous. But I had to do it. I mean, I boohooed on the bus. I boohooed all the way there. Like, it was just. It was tough. So your your child, she stayed with relatives while you went to Iraq. Um, she stayed with her uh, her father at the time. At the time, I was married. Okay. With her dad, and then we also had. Okay. Oh, we we skipped the whole marriage. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Woo! Yes, yes. Okay. Okay, so like in between, this was in between you basic training and. Yes. So I, go to Iraq. So there was a marriage in between. It was a marriage in between. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I had actually gotten married um, 
in AIT. So after I finished basic training, I had gotten married then. And um, being in the military, when you first get in, like they really kind of force you to get married. You know? uh, that's, that's what I've heard. I heard that like nobody gets it's so it's two people that get that get married fast. That's uh <laughs> that's uh people in military and butch lesbians. Those yeah. are two oh, people that get married fast. Oh, for, <laughs> real. for real. Like we were, you know, we were young and um Yeah, they get they give you that money and you get you your nice your nice Camaro and you get married. That's it. That's <laughs> it. And you good. Okay, so we, 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 you got married in between time. Now we're in Iraq. Your mm -hmm. child is back at home with your family. Back at home, yeah. In Iraq. What's yeah. going on? Woo, what's not going on? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I'm, you know, I'm over there. Um, the first tour there, um, I spent a lot of time traveling from base to base. Um, but I also you know, spent a lot of time to, you know, being able to kind of focus on myself. Um, but of course, you know, we were getting, we were getting hit. Um, how do I explain it? <laughs> oh, by getting hit, you mean you getting shot at? We were getting like mortared, like they're dropped. They were literally they were dropping bombs on you? Bombs in Baghdad. Bombs over Baghdad, huh? What? <laughs> I don't have to insert the song when I ruin it. They was dropping them on us, you know. But I mean, we had this uh machine called the C RAM. So what it would do is it, it would shoot those those missiles and those mortars out of the air. Sometimes it it would it would knock them out and sometimes it didn't. But we got hit so much to where we kind of got used to it. So you get, I don't, that sounds really strange to me. Getting used to, <laughs> getting used to almost dying. So right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what's what's the strangest? I don't know if I can say funniest because y'all know what's funny about having bombs dropped on you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Story that you have out of Iraq. Oh, oh my goodness. Um. What's a strange story? Well, uh, what I can say is nothing. Nothing that's going. To, I'm not trying to get you court martial. So. <laughs> um, I will say that. Uh, what can I say? I would just say that. Okay, I got a story. So, um, I ended up getting a roommate. Okay. And um, at the time, you know, if you deploy with your spouse, um, they would let them live together. Okay. But uh, my roommate and her spouse, they were like kind of doing this Ike and Tina type thing. Okay. So they had to, <laughs> <laughs> they had to separate, had to separate them. them. Right. So, of course, they put me in the room with them. You know, well, she, you know, her husband was gone. But as time went on. He was starting to come over more and more, you know, often we had like our little divider. We lived in like little trailers, little tiny trailers. So we had like our blanket up for our dividers, but I'm sleeping. It's like one o'clock in the morning. I'm already terrified because um, I'm thinking that every time they, you know, play the prayer music that we're about to get bombed. So I'm definitely not leaving in the middle of the night to go anywhere, but I'm laying in bed, I'm sleeping and all I hear is them arguing. And I'm like, man, we have our weapons on us. Like, he's a loose cannon. I don't know what's going to happen. So she's constantly saying stuff to him, getting him, you know, triggered up and rammed up even more. And next thing I know, he just started yelling. It sounds like he's about to get up. And, you know, he's about to hit her. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. So I'm like, you know what? I got up. I put my boots on. I put my gear on. And I jet it to my <laughs> office. <laughs> I'm like, whoever y'all put me in this room, like whoever y'all put me in this room with y'all gonna have to y'all gonna have to move me you know so they laughed at me because they like man you ran down here you are scared like i was sweating it was crazy i'm running in rocks i got my weapon i'm like i'm out of here <laughs> so it's been a ton of stories a lot of things like we used to get in trouble like we were that that company that the, the legal office, they were like, 
we don't want to see any more paperwork coming across our desk from y'all. Y'all are like the worst unit <laughs> to be out here. <laughs> yeah, we were bad. <laughs> what would they write you up for? What was it? What kind of like? Ooh. So the big thing over there was adultery. Um, oh, that's, I thought that was common in the military. It is, but to be in Iraq, like who's thinking about that? And your spouse is over there with you. Like I even had, um, we even had a spouse walk in on his wife, like in the middle of doing something, you know, intimate with somebody else. <clears throat> and it was just crazy. So they were like really writing people up for like, it was like cheaters. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I loved it. I would have loved it. <laughs> you having sex with my wife? Right, right. Oh my God. Yes. And he would he tore him up. He tore him up. He tore him up. Okay. Okay. So you're in Iraq. So how long were you in Iraq? I was in Iraq um for about 10 months. 10 months. Okay. So 10 months in Iraq, what you come, you're back home? Yep, I came back home. We actually ended up coming back early. We were supposed to be there for a year. Okay, so so now ten months. So this is right around twenty ten. Yep, twenty ten. Twenty ten. So twenty ten, you're back home. What's what's next for Miss Sophia? Oh, so um, at the time, um, I had come to the understanding that you know things wasn't so faithful on my end in my relationship. So mm -hmm. I came home and I filed for a divorce. Um, I cut my hair. <laughs> so this is really waiting to exhale, right? Waiting to exhale. <laughs> I filed for a divorce. I even met um, the lady, you know, who, you know, he was um, messing with at the time. I had found out, you know, that she was in my home, spending my money. Like it was just like the typical army <laughs> situation, you know. Um, so once I got back, within about thirty days, I was divorced. Um, I had my oh, daughter. Welcome back to America. <laughs> right, right. I got a couple tattoos, <laughs> and then I moved to Miami. I um, wow, yeah. I moved to Miami. Me and my daughter, we packed up and we got out of there. Okay, so how is how was Miami? Miami was amazing. Like that was like the second level. <laughs> like really leveling up and really seeing um that there are different possibilities and different ways of life. So I ended up meeting, and I don't know if you remember them, but Sade Johnson. You remember Sade? Yes, yes. I, I Sade was living down there at the time. She was working. Um, I believe she was an underwriter for a bank. She was living in Biscayne. And then, um, do you remember William Sanders? Yes, yes. Yeah, I I so. he was like a class under us. Um, he was out there, so I actually ended up linking up with with, with the two of them. Um, Will he? Um, he was like very well known. He was like into the party scene. I think he was working a lot with, um, it was like a rapper, a well-known rapper. So like we would go to different clubs and um, we just really enjoyed ourselves. And I was really able to see like, man, there are like people just really living their lives, living their dreams, doing their own thing. And I'm like, dang, I want to do that too. You know? So like it would be times where, you know, they'd be like, hey, go out with us to the club. And I'm like, man. And by the time I get back in from the club, it's like six o'clock and I got PT at 630. <laughs> uh, like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? You know, it's, it's nothing like coming in, coming into your house and the sun's coming up. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then as soon as I lay down, my daughter's waking me up at seven. Like, mom, I would want pancakes. I'm like, man. So it was it was amazing. I met a lot of amazing people. Um, that's actually where I started my first business. Um, it was a cosmetics line. And um, it was just dope. You know, it was dope being able to really research. And I even had a few other entrepreneurs. Um, at the time, I worked at Southcom. Mm -hmm. um, 
So um, it was a couple other entrepreneurs, um, you know, scattered. So we were brainstorming, bounce ideas off of each other. And just to have that diversity, you mm -hmm. know, of being in Miami was, it was awesome. So what inspired you to do the makeup line? Was it your previous experience being a makeup it artist? It was, it was. And I remember um, one of the main things that kind of turned me away from um, working for um, I worked for Fashion Fair when I first started out. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's like a very well-known um, cosmetics line for women of color. I, and, I think they were, I heard of them. Yeah, it was like our grandmothers. In, in Macy's or something. They yeah, was like, grandmothers, great-grandmothers. They know about Fashion Fair. Mm -hmm. And at the time I had this lady, she kind of, because she didn't personally like me, she cheated me out of a promotion. And that's what really made me make my mind up to join the army because I'm like, eh, nah. So when I started to um, go into Miami, I, you know, I, I was like, man, I really enjoyed, you know, doing makeup. I really enjoyed being able to sell it. Like that is something that I was really good at. And I was like, hmm, I wonder what does it take to start a cosmetics line? So literally everything that I learned. It was off of Google. I Googled everything. I knew nothing about manufacturers. I knew nothing about um, trade shows. I knew nothing. But I, I, what I did know is that I wanted to start a cosmetics line. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's just, that's amazing. So you're all you're a self-taught entrepreneur at the yes. time. Yes. <laughs> yes. And still is to be honest. I, I still Google. <laughs> but Google's Google's your friend. Right. Right. <laughs> All right, so like, so now you're you're living in Miami. So you've been in Chicago from grew up in Chicago most of your life. How would you describe the difference of Chicago outside of the weather, which we know, right? Of living in Miami, just the just the culture, the people, neighborhoods. Um, okay, so Miami reminds me of paradise, a resort. You know, mm -hmm. so um, for me, Miami is like about opportunity. Because you have people coming from different countries, you have people coming from different backgrounds, and usually when you have those type of people coming um, together, they are very optimistic, they are very forward focused, you know, and they just want to make it. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of um, the people there they come from, you know, underdeveloped countries, and they come to America looking to do better, looking to establish something for themselves and for their families, and that was the first time that I was actually able to see food growing on trees. Like I was invited to a friend's house and he had like a whole mango tree. He had a whole mango tree in the back of his backyard. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but you know, growing food, growing food there is a norm. It's a norm. Coconuts, mangoes, avocados, everything. So um, the difference between Miami and Chicago was that uh, there was inspiration there for me. And I realized that in order for me to be inspired to do more and to do bigger things, I had to take myself out of Chicago mm -hmm. and really travel and really get inspiration from elsewhere. Because I understand that sometimes when you are around your family and your friends and you all are doing the same things, sometimes when people see you doing things different, they can kind of, um, you know, shy you away from straying and, and going away from the norm. Okay. Did you have anyone that like kind of discouraged you when you came out with your cosmetic line? <laughs> I had tons. I've had, <laughs> People, you know, shiced me, you know, out of photos. I've had people, um, you know, just straight, just be nasty, you know, about me doing it. I've had people who would, you know, tell me, oh, yeah, that's not going to do well, you know, or if I would try to, you know, do an event, you know, it would just, it was just discouragement every once in a while. But what I can say is that I did get a lot of support from like my aunts and my cousins. Like when I did do an event in Chicago, like they really came through and they really supported. But in the process, it was hard because you had people who would see what you're doing and they would think that it's easy and they would try to beat you to the punch, you know, and really realize, oh man, this is really hard. 
you know. Okay, so you're you're in Miami, so you do, you do the cosmetic line. What's what's next for you after that? Um, so I was still in the army, <laughs> um, and it, it would have been almost two years, and I ended up meeting um, my son's father. And <laughs> I met him. <clears throat> He's originally from the Bahamas, and his mother is Haitian. Okay. So um, I ended up, you know, getting pregnant. And by that time, we had made the decision that we were going to go ahead and kind of PCS back or transition back to Georgia because okay. Miami can be very expensive. It's very fast paced and um, it's just really crowded. Mm -hmm. Georgia, you know, it's a lot slower, you know, it's more retirement town and it's a lot more affordable. So, so this is where we were in 2012, 2013? Yeah, 2012, 2013. Okay, so 2012, you're, you're in Georgia now. So what are you doing in Georgia? Um, I'm still doing my IT. By this time, you know, I'm pregnant. I'm like huge, you know, so everybody's like, no, Sergeant Green, you need to sit down. You don't need to be doing anything, you know. So um, I spent a lot of time just working with soldiers within the office. Um, I ended up getting stationed back at Fort Gordon, which was the initial station that I did my AIT and where I deployed out of. Okay. So, yeah, I um, ended up getting promoted to sergeant there, and that's where I really was able to kind of point in on my skills of really helping soldiers. They really wanted me to stay in and go warrant, but I was like, eh, no, I have my children. I deployed with my first daughter. And I was just like, you know, it's time for me to kind of spend some time with them. Okay, so this is your transition out of the Army around this yeah. time? Yes. So mm -hmm. a year, maybe about a year, um, I say, what is that, 20, 2016? Was it? No, 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 2000. No, 2014. Okay. I, say I ended up transitioning out. Okay. Okay, so now you're out of the army. Mm -hmm. where, where, do you, where are you moving to next? What's next? So we moved to North Carolina. Um, mm -hmm. At that time, I was with my son's father, and he was a, a system manager for Publix. Okay. And Publix was like really big in North in uh, Florida, but they were like building up, so they had made it to North Carolina. Okay. So we transitioned to North Carolina, and you know we resided there for a little. Okay, so now you, you've lived in Georgia, Florida, and now you're in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what was North Carolina like? Uh, North Carolina was great. It was like a mix between Augusta and, I'll say, Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, you had the areas that was rural, then you had the areas that could be busy. Okay, so like South Side, West Side. There we go. <laughs> right, that's an even Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So, okay. So like you're in North Carolina. So how long do you stay in North Carolina? I was in North Carolina for about two years. Okay. So I know you left North Carolina and where did you go after that? So after North Carolina, um, I decided to become a contractor and I ended up going to Afghanistan for maybe about six months. Okay, so from my from Miami to Afghanistan in a few years, that's a it's a big <laughs> right, <laughs> right. It's crazy. Okay, so what was Afghanistan like? So this is after this is after Obama became president. So it's a this yeah. was actually right around the time Trump was elected. Okay, so <laughs> we're at uneasy times. So what was it like then? Um, it was different because I was able to go overseas as an actual person, like an individual. And I was actually able to experience being overseas as a human. So I was able to speak with people um, of different nationalities, different countries. Like I've made friends in Georgia, Macedonia, Italy, um, Russia, I mean, everywhere. And uh, particularly um, the local Afghanis there, they were some of the sweetest people you, you know, you'd ever meet. 
Okay. So how, how do how do the local Afghanis feel about like you know the United States has been in their country for about eighteen years now? So how do they do they have any? Are they just used to it now, or they want you to go? <laughs> well, wait, well, it's 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 both. Okay. So the thing is, is that they don't mind us being there, mm-hmm. but the issue is, is that we can be very disrespectful, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sure you understand that even with us being here in the States. So what I have come to realize is that the way that the middle East is being portrayed in the United States is not how they really are. Mm-hmm. Um, they welcomed us, you know, um, when we were going to like the markets, like they welcome us. they, they, you know, I even had a man tell me, he was like, I know that you guys are far away from home and we want to make you all feel, you know, as, as homely as possible. You know, we know you guys are away from your family, you know, so we want to make sure you guys are welcome, you know, but, um, around that time there was a suicide bombing on one of the bases and, they literally like evacuated all of the locals on our base. And at that time, you know, they did everything for us. They did our laundry, they did our sanitation, they fed us. So because we couldn't really have access to that regularly, um, it was rough for about a week. And then once they decided to let them back on, you can tell that they were very uh, timid and afraid and apprehensive of how we would receive them. Um, and if we would automatically prejudge them for, you know, the, the actions of someone else. Mm-hmm. So what, what was the living arrangements like? Cause I know when you, you say when you were in Iraq, you were like in a, like a tent or something. Oh, uh, I, you know, I would have actually appreciated a tent. Okay. So what, what did they have you in, in Afghanistan? In Afghanistan, we were in trailers. Trailers. Uh-huh. I can't even call it a trailer. It was like a box. It was like three of us in a very small room. And when I first started out, I was on the top bunk there. And then um, I kind of shifted down. Like as people began to leave, you know how you just kind of rotate positions <laughs> out. Okay. And I eventually ended up having my own bed in the back, but it was small, you know, and it was, you know, we had like the helipad right there. So you were hit a planes coming in, going off. It was just not ideal, you know. So you were in that. How long were you in Afghanistan again? Uh, about maybe six months. Six okay. months. So you're in Afghanistan six months and then you come back. Or did you, you come back to North Carolina or did you leave? Uh, well, nope. I ended up coming. So when I was in Afghanistan, I was doing a lot of networking. Mm-hmm. Um, where I was uh, stationed at, it was like the the, the headquarters. So a lot of uh, the federal uh, employees, they were actually stationed here in the DMV area. Okay. So as I would talk to them, they're like, hey, you know, if you ever think about coming back to the States, you know, you should definitely look into D.C. I know the Pentagon is hiring. I know this, this, that, the third. And I was like, hmm, that's actually not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they give you, they offer you really good salaries. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, you know, go to the DMV. Because that's like the hub for IT. That's the hub for, you know, if you have a clearance, you can really negotiate your salary and really, you know, make a life for yourself. Oh no! Did we lose Sophia? No, I should still be here. Okay, no, nah, okay. You, 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 you went away for like ten <laughs> seconds. So that's what he, that's what he said about uh, about moving to DMV. <laughs> oh yeah. So basically, what I was saying was, um, majority of the um, federal employees they were actually based here in the DMV area. So they um, was just like, you know, hey, that, you know, the DMV area is like the hub for, you know, people who have clearance, people who mainly do IT work. Like if you really wanted to make a life for yourself, like that would be a great place for you to go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm like thinking to myself like, hmm, that sounds like a good idea. You know, why not? Mm-hmm. OK, so now we're in the present. You're in the DMV now. So 
what's life like now? <laughs> life has been, it's been great. You know, I've had, you know, my ups and downs, of course, being single is never easy, but I have really been able to really experience and explore who I am as a person and really understand that in order for you to want to do well and progress and really figure out who you are, what your purpose is, you have to take that journey alone and you have to live according to what feels good to you and not listen to what everybody else is saying and everybody else is doing. Oh, you're supposed to be in school. Oh, you're supposed to be married. Like, no, you do what feels good to you. Okay. So now, thank you. So now we're in the present day. Let's talk about your book that you released, yes. Little Black Book. So, yes. so um, I basically wrote that book and I, I wrote it for myself to be honest, um, everything that, you know, I've been through, even a lot of what we've discussed earlier, dealing with, um, traumas, you know, from, you know, my childhood, dealing with abandonment issues, dealing with, you know, not really having a relationship with my father or really with my mother really, uh, played a big part in my life. And, um, it kind of took me back, you know, I feel like, you know, I could have been maybe ahead a lot further than what I am now, but you know, who knows, but I wrote that book for people who don't have a safe space, you know, who don't know what to do, you know, if they have unresolved traumas or who don't know what to do when they're dealing with, you know, being abandoned by someone they, you know, love and, it's just, you know, a guide to kind of walk people through sorting out and identifying what those hindrances in their lives are. Because if you can't really get to the root of your issues, you can't elevate, you can't move forward, you can't manifest, you know, a happy life. You're going to continue to repeat those same cycles and eventually pass it on to your children. All right. That is a word. <laughs> All right. So thank thank you so much for so now we're gonna to transition to people's choice. So whatever topic that you want to talk about, let's throw it out there. This is your your choice, your time, your topic. Anything. Well, for me, um, I would love to talk about um dating and how really knowing yourself and figuring out who you really are, how that plays a part. Because I can't say that I struggle with dating here because I don't, but I have come to realize that um, I've come into contact with a lot of men here in this area who have mother issues. And what happens is, is it affects how they treat women when they're dating. I, you know, that's the same for me and having father issues, you know? How would you say it, it uh, affects them? The mother issues affects them. Like, what are what are the signs that you see? Okay, so they're not they're not you know attached. You know, they're detached. Mm-hmm. They um, don't really know how to establish you know a healthy relationship with a woman. Um, they would tend to use women as objects, and they don't really know how to handle communication and um, disagreements. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you think that, that that's a, that's an issue a lot of people not being able to see healthy relationships? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's a big issue. And I, you know, it's not just with men, but I think that's, that's the commonality, you know, of the fact that even for our generation, a lot of us may not, have that attachment to our parents either our parents you know were you know dealing with drugs or just not able to be parents for us and because of that we never really learn how to truly love each other we never really learn how to love ourselves we don't even know what a bond feels like you know yeah because yeah, I, I kind of noticed that with myself because like uh like my father's been married like multiple times mm-hmm. so he's like almost like scared me of ever getting married because like, 
Man, divorce, man, when you, you see a divorced man, you see a broken man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. absolutely. I don't, I don't want to be that guy. Like, because like in the apartment complex I live in now, when I'm in Indiana, I know it's this guy. It's like Bloomington, Indiana is a college oh, town. Yeah, it's where SIU is, right? Or is it Illinois State? No, this is Bloomington, Indiana. This is uh, Indiana University. It's where Indiana oh. University is. Yeah, so... I, my co- apartment complex is mostly people who are in school or just out of school. Mm-hmm. But there's there's one old guy. He's like, you you ever saw Get Out? Yes. So remember the guy who was like the gardener who was yes. that, That's who he reminds me of because <laughs> he's kind of kind of creepy sometimes. Yeah. And he's always hanging around and and I see like some like small kids come to see him. So I'm like, you got to be divorced because this is these are all like studio apartments here like you're right. you're in your you're in your 50s boy <laughs> and then the studio i'm like so i'm like you're divorced so this is this is the face of divorce <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so that, that that's kind of scared me from thinking I, about marriage <laughs> no don't don't let it scare you because what i've come to learn even with me being married um i think it's very important that we really take the time to get to know ourselves Hmm. And then we actually really take the time to get to know the person. And even if you do end up in divorce, you can still be amicable. Mm-hmm. And what what happens is, is usually when you do get a divorce, you should grow. You should learn from it. Hmm. You know, become a better person. So uh, I don't think marriage is necessarily the bad thing. I think what can be bad is getting married without getting to know the person. And realizing that, oh man, this might not work, you know, and it's okay. Like you can come to an agreement and say, okay, well, we try, you know, and move forward. But a lot of people aren't really willing to put in the work to, you know, get to know themselves, let alone somebody else. Okay. Okay. So since we're talking about dating, uh, how long is an appropriate time to get over? And X. Because I know I know someone, I hope they don't hope they don't listen to this. <laughs> but they've been talking about their ex for like it's going on like five years now. Really? And I'm like, it's it's over, buddy. Right. <laughs> I mean, it should it shouldn't take you well, I can't I, I know everybody's different, but like I said, it goes back to healing. If mm. you have not healed that situation, you're gonna keep replaying that. I would say me personally. No, it, it could maybe six months, a year at most, depending on how long you've been with the person. But if you, you know, if you keep replaying those thoughts over and over again, you're never going to get over the person. You have to delete pictures. You have to delete memories. You have to let it go. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Like once the relationship's over, like you're, that's, you're, that's social media. Like those pictures are gone. That's it. That's it. Move on. You know, I'm I'm pretty good at Photoshop. I can put in Halle Berry's picture. <laughs> right. All right. Okay. So you're in the DMV. So I heard that the DMV is the absolute worst place to be dating someone. Ah, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> okay. So tell me, what is what is it like dating? Because I'm, you know, I'm in a college town, so all the people I know are. It's, I just swipe on Bumble, and it's and Bloomington, Indiana is like ninety percent white, so it takes me like. Like if I find a black person, then it's just like, yay, we we gotta get married. <laughs> so here it's like, like I said, okay, so you have a lot of uh, men who are like secret service, sheriffs, therapists, like they have great occupations. But you have a lot of these men who are in their forties, who've never been married, who never had children, and at first you'll be like, dang. You're single? Like, how is that even possible? And then after really getting to know them, you start to realize why. Oh, oh <laughs> right. Nobody, they don't want to, they don't want to take women out on dates. They don't want to court. All they want to do is Netflix and chill. And what I'm starting to notice is that because of the the stress in their job. They're not interested in actually getting into a relationship. They just want something physical to kind of have a stress reliever. And then they go back to doing the same thing. 
Right. And they don't want to pay for an escort. That's they don't want right. to <laughs> <laughs> Like, what are you doing? There's plenty of women who are more than willing to do that for you. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, these are like well-paid men. They can just go shopping on Instagram. No, <laughs> they want to mess with your mind. They want to mess with your mind. Hmm. So, that sounds strange to me. It's terrible. It's terrible. And you really have to, um, like I've had a couple of times where, you know, I've had a guy stop me in like rush hour traffic. It's like, oh my gosh, your energy is amazing. Like, we should go out. Like, we go on one date and it'll be great. And he's like, okay, when can I come to your house? And I'm like, no, sir. Like, <laughs> pause. <What? laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's that's like the culture here. Okay. You know? Men okay. are Okay, speaking of that, like the cat calling, because I've I've seen a lot of like different women talk about this, how like they don't like the the street harassment, you know, just the uh, yelling, "Hey, hey, you, hey, you in the red dress!" Oh my goodness. Okay, okay. So have have you gotten that in D.C.? No, yeah. um, so, it's only in Chicago. <laughs> so okay. in Chicago. Okay, so the. Okay, so the men in D.C. are a little more publicly well-behaved. They are, or they won't say anything at all. Or, um, like, in, like, the Howard area, like, they're really respectful. Like, I've had a guy come up like, hey, you're beautiful. You know, I've had my son with me, and they would play with my son, like, hey, how you doing? Like, it was cool. It was cool. Like, the energy here is very different from the energy in Chicago. Okay. So how would you describe the energy in Chicago? I just want to see. <laughs> <laughs> energy in Chicago is like in your face. Like for me, men is like rough. You know, they're hard and they display that very well, you know, even to women. Because yeah, I've noticed that like Chicago, New York, especially, they yeah. have no qualms no about care. No. Well, when I was in New York, the women have no qualms about catcalling men. So I guess that's a New York thing. Oh my gosh, yes. And New York is dope too. But yeah, New York to me, New York and Chicago, when it comes to the people, they're similar. But I think New York is like a little bit more over the top. Yeah. It's like, you know, you amp up West Side Sounds 10. You got New York City. <laughs> Right. You know, check out some of the countryness and there, yes. there you go. <laughs> yes. Okay. So what would be, what's the proper way to approach a woman on the street? You don't know her anything. Well, what um, would be the proper way? I think the proper way would just to be yourself. You know, me personally, <clears throat> even if you started like a small conversation, Hey ma'am, how you doing? What's your name? Or, if, if you find something funny or, you know, something that you, an opportunity where we could relate on something, but just being yourself, being genuine, or you could say, hey, how you doing? Do you mind if I ask you, you know, this, that, and the third? I'm going to be like, sure, you know? But I'm pretty laid back. So some women may be like, oh, why he talking to me? You know, yeah. I don't know a person is hitting on me unless they say, hey, I like you. Other than that, it's like, oh, hey, what's up? Yeah, we're cool. Yeah, because yeah, I'm, I'm pretty oblivious about a lot of stuff. But yeah. I know a lot of guys, are like, they need a, they're the extreme or they're like, they just shy away. They won't talk at all because they're afraid of getting that. Ugh, you? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the worst thing you can get when a girl go, ew. <laughs> <laughs> that is so harsh. <laughs> That is so harsh, but you know rejection is part of it, you know. And if if she don't if she don't like it, it's her loss. I've learned to just play it off. I'm like, no, I was just saying that your your your, your, your tracks are showing. Sorry, your, your tracks are showing. It just right. bothered me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the interesting dating in D.C. dating Chicago. So, yeah. in, any any other topic you want to bring up? Um, what else? Uh, 
just, you know, just balancing work life. Like I noticed that, you know, a lot of us are busy. It was like, it's like some, like we want to be, you know, pursuing all of these different things or pursuing, you know, a family life. But it's like between work, you know, and if some of us have children, it's like almost impossible to do that. So I don't know if it's a matter of really um, establishing priorities, but um, or maybe people just aren't realistic about the things that they want. So I don't know. Maybe being realistic about the things that they want and really pursuing them. Yeah, I noticed that. Well, since I don't have a traditional like job, I'm I'm mostly taking classes and I only teach in the fall. So. Okay. So like most of our time and, and and our split time between Indiana and Chicago. Mm-hmm. So because I I don't think I don't think I spent one weekend in Indiana because I don't because it's only I'll take that three and a half hour drive because I just don't want to spend a, a weekend in Indiana. Right. <laughs> so okay. and you know, I'm still doing things. I'm still I like I have to finish my classes and then write my dissertation, which is like 300 pages oh my goodness my research interviewing all these people going through archives so i don't know it's very one thing i found is i have a i keep a daily planner and i just i time out everything that i'm gonna do so i think that's most people people are need to get accustomed to writing things down again i figure when i write something down i actually end up doing it Yeah. yeah You know, I wonder, like, if if in this day and age right now, if actually pursuing a family or pursuing marriage is like the norm again anymore, or is it more so a lot of co-parenting and just dating and that's it? Like, I wonder if, like, the model of family life is, like, changing. I don't know, cause I've know I've talked to some guy friends of mine, and they're like, they're like, man, I don't want to get married, but you know, I don't have a problem with having a child. I'm like, isn't that right. kind of like reverse order? Man? Right. <laughs> yes, I'm like, how? How can you have a whole human with someone and not want like they're y'all gonna be in each other's lives, regardless? <laughs> yeah, I I don't know, man. That's that's weird to me, but I guess I don't know. That's the way it's moving. People aren't. People don't want to cohabitate with people, you know. He's like, I can raise a child, and I think there's a lot of thing with men. It's like they know the child's gonna stay with the woman, so they're like, ah. um, that is so selfish. Yeah, I think I think that too. I'm like, that's what I think. Like the whole the whole child support debate, and I'm thinking like, man, be like, man, it's too much in child support. I'm thinking if you had to have your kid in your house yeah. for two weeks, you would be sending them back and paying hey, you exactly. paying the mother to take care of the child because it's. Exactly. It's a lot of expenses that come with raising kids. That's why right. I don't have children because I'm cheap. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's it's not only expensive, but you literally have to build your life around the child. You have to find a job that, that is going to let you out in time to pick your children up from daycare. You can't date. You know what I'm saying? You got to pay a babysitter if you want to go on a date. Like You literally are limited. They stick, you know. You gotta do it all. Yeah. Well, oh, this was a lively conversation. I'm glad <laughs> to have you on. Uh, quickly, uh, I do this rapid fire. What was the last book you read? The last movie you watched? And the last uh, song you listened to? So the last book that I read was uh, "Rich Dad Poor Dad." Okay. Um, the last movie I watched. Um, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Aladdin. Aladdin, no, you went to see Aladdin. How was it? <laughs> and what was what was the last what was the other question? The last song you listened to. The last song that I listened to. Hold on one second, I got it right here. Give me <laughs> one second. Oh my goodness, my memory is terrible. So beautiful by music soul child. Oh, so beautiful. Wow, I love that song. This takes me back. Yes. <laughs> Oh, so beautiful. <laughs> yes, I love that song. Yeah. All right, all right. So uh Life's uh what's the name of Life's Little Black Book, where can they pick it up? They can pick it up. You can actually go onto my I um my IG, 
You can go to Twinkle Inspirations or you can go to I Am Miss Fifi on Instagram and click the link in my bio. All right. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening to episode one of Something for the People. And once I edit this, hopefully it sounds good. And you will. I'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.